Good to see everybody. I'm going to have to do a full 360 to uh, make eye contact with everybody, including out in the hallway. Larry? We have, from time to time, been doing a series um, based on a children's Bible and the select stories that it contains. And my assignment tonight is Daniel in the lion's den. A very famous story, and it is found, not surprisingly, in the book of Daniel. Chapter 6, which I will find better if I can raise this up and see what I'm looking at. That probably goes up somehow, but I won't, uh, I won't worry about fighting it now. There's a double meaning in the title that you're looking at. Some of you know I like plays on words. Daniel in the lion's den, a spectacular rescue. But what if it never happened? That can mean two different things. It can mean, what if the story is just a story and it's more like a children's fairy tale than something to find in a children's Bible. But the other thing it can mean is, what if Daniel and all the events were real, but the rescue never came and the lions had their meal? Think about those questions as we read. And I'm going to do something very unscum-like. I'm going to read the whole story all at once and then talk about it. Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel had distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they weren't able to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. That's what you say to kings. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, governors, anybody else in sight have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days 
except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Ominous music, please, in the background. Yeah, the original Oregon Trail. (laughs) Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And they said to the king, Daniel... It was one of the exiles from Judah pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be repealed, can be changed. So the king gave the order. And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he he called to Daniel in in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able you to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their Wives and children. 
And before they reached the floor of the den, lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, or at least his empire, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Wow, I see why that makes it into an abridged children's Bible. But can we believe it? It's fascinating what we know of the early Persian Empire. We are looking at the late 500s B.C., fits all of the customs and the framework of this story. You can turn to historians outside of the Bible, not even Christians. Oh, is this the game where it doesn't uh, show the details coming in one by one? That's what I get for animating it. But Dave is the magician. He can fix everything. Are you going to do it from over there now? Sorry about that. There'll be a couple more like that. We know that from uh, a couple of generations later, there were exactly 127 provinces in the Persian Empire, each that had a governor called a satrap over it. And here we're told there were 120, which could be a round number, or they could have added a few. Next. We know that even when... The chance to go back to Israel came in the Persian Empire. A lot of the Jews were reasonably comfortable in in Persia, and they stayed there. And some of them had assimilated culturally to the, the Persian people, and some rose to high ranks in the kingdom. So to find Daniel being in such a position is not a surprise. Next. What we see in this story is what ancient historians call a trial by ordeal. It doesn't say throw Daniel into the lion's den forever. (laughs) Sooner or later, the lions will eat him. But the idea was, and there were different examples of this, that you put a person in a life-threatening situation, but if his life is not lost, that's a sign that he's innocent before God or the gods. And so that's why this just took place over one night. Next. We know that the Medes and the Persians were united for a period of time, especially early in the Persian Empire. That fits the story. Another one. Herodotus, the Greek historian, tells an account of Darius III, a couple of Dariuses later, 
who discovered he had wrongly ordered the execution of an innocent man and was tied by these laws and had to go through and execute him. The law of the Medes and Persians that can't be revoked. It was a real thing. Next. If you go to Israel or Iran, you're more likely to go to Israel today. Or anywhere in between, you're not going to see many lions. But there were a lot of lions in the Middle East in that time. And kings love to collect exotic animals and have them in a, an area somewhat like we might call a safari park. All of that is realistic. Is there anything more on this ridiculously long list? <gasps> oh, that's so sad. But the Persians did it. It's true to life. It was a huge deterrent, and it probably helped prevent family members from taking revenge if they could for things. And maybe one more. We even have records of certain religions being declared legal, acceptable for worship. In fact, there's really only one problem in this whole passage, and that's the next slide. And don't go away, Dave. Who was this Darius the Mede? That's the name we don't have from any other historical source, even though we have a list of all the Persian and Median kings. Well, we have options. Number one. Oh, good. They're all there. Some think this was simply another name for a man by the name of Gubaru, who was like Cyrus's second in command, a kind of vice president, vice emperor, vice king. Most think it's actually the same person as Cyrus the Persian. Because if you have a Bible with footnotes or a phone with a text that you can check out the textual notes, another way of translating the last verse is that Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius. That is Cyrus the Persian. And this fits Cyrus's age, 62, which we know from the end of Daniel 5. It fits the fact that Cyrus's mother was half median. And it fits his generally lenient policy. He tried to rescue Daniel, but his hands were tied. Why the second name? It was probably what was called a throne name that somebody took their first year of being an emperor and then dropped. Okay, I'm glad you were all interested in that. Well, maybe three of you were, so it was, it was worth it. Good, thank you, thank you. <laughs> There's two? All right. Well, wait a minute. No, the, the big problem is the miracle. Well, if you don't believe in miracles, then that's the end of the story. However, you ought to take a look at a book or a YouTube site 
interviewing a guy by the name of Craig Keener who teaches in Kentucky at Asbury Seminary who has assembled two volumes of the most documented modern-day miracles, and it's surprising how many of them are like biblical miracles, kinds of things it's very difficult to explain away unless you just refuse to believe. But did you notice this is one of those miracles that doesn't require any supernatural intervention by God. No, I'm not saying the lions weren't hungry. The fact that they quickly devoured the other people the next morning shows they were getting pretty hungry. If you Google Daniel in the lion's den and then click on images, you get all kinds of interesting things. But this was my favorite. An Italian artist by the name of Leonardo Di Genio. I don't know how well you can see the looks on the lions' faces. And I don't know what his uh, intent was in painting. There are a lot of pictures out there that show the lions just looking tame and playful. <laughs> I, I don't think that's what we're to imagine. To me, this looks like a, a pride, <laughs> that's what you call a group of lions, who might be on the verge of attacking. There's one very close to Daniel that's got his mouth wide open. And it looks like the big male right in the middle is maybe the leader of the pack. As he goes, so goes everyone else. And I'm not saying that Daniel was a lion whisperer, like a horse whisperer, or, or that he had some spray called Lion Be Gone. But however God orchestrated the events, there, there's nothing supernatural other than the lions are kept from attacking and having dinner. And that's where a lot of writers stop. When I was uh, a young adult, there was a book called Daniel in the Critics' Den, written by Josh McDowell. And he took the title from a book written by an Englishman in 1905 with the same title. And it, it rehearses all these arguments, says this is a story that we ought to be able to believe. And you know what? I happen to believe it. So what? <laughs> I don't live in Persia. I don't live in the 500s B.C. There are occasionally some fierce animals that make it into Denver, including a mountain lion, but not this kind of lion. <laughs> Does this have any relevance for us in the 21st century in and around Denver. What if Daniel hadn't been rescued? What if the story were true? But fast forward the video about another 15 seconds and the lions are on the attack and Daniel is in shreds. 
When I am tempted to doubt that God is doing anything or in charge of things, I, I think back to stuff that's happened in my life that I can't explain any other way. A, a student not even knowing that um, I had a severe repetitive stress injury back in the mid-2000s who... Uh, appeared at my office door on Good Friday. Neither of us had any reason to be at the campus. <laughs> and when I shared my story, he said, I have your miracle cure. And I laughed and he laughed, but he had it. Uh, something called uh, um, ART, um, something release techniques that a few chiropractors know how to do. I think back to uh, a woman I just saw for the first time in years earlier this spring who's about my age, who when we were at Mission Hills 20 years ago, um, came with severe cancer diagnosis, the MRIs, the huge tumor in her abdomen, and after a group of us who were on elders at that time prayed and anointed her with oil, she went back to the doctors and they, they couldn't find the tumor. I think to stories I've heard about here, Larry Pombianco and Tracy Johnson praying over Katie Foster and suddenly an undiagnosed weakness that made her walk with a limp for a long period of time was, was healed. And I can't explain those in any way without a recourse to God. But some of you have prayed over and over again and had people pray for you. And you haven't had the miracles that you've been looking for. There was no guarantee that Daniel would have been rescued from the lion's den. There are people in our world, in our Christian world, that guarantee all kinds of miraculous stuff if we just have the right kind of faith, the right kind of obedience, or send them enough money. And there are few more dangerous perversions of the Christian faith than those. It tears my heart out when I hear of people that used to be a part of scum who say they don't believe anymore because God didn't heal their loved one or he didn't provide the job they had their heart set on or they have a chronic problem that they have begged him to take away over and over again. There are promises in the Bible which, taken out of context, can look like a blank check. But if you read them and some paragraphs around them, they are always qualified by if it is God's will. It is so dangerous to have any other kind of belief. We have seen in our day the pictures of new Christians in the Middle East being beheaded for their faith. 
and we give up our faith because we didn't get the job we wanted or the healing for somebody we wanted. I hate to be offensive, but how wimpy is that kind of faith? Earlier this spring, I talked about Moses and the ten plagues. And I I didn't really notice it until afterwards. But I went back and, and was reminded again, God rescued Israel after 400 flipping years of slavery in Egypt. How many generations of parents had to tell their kids... Don't worry. God has promised to rescue us. He did some great things when our ancestors first came to Egypt. He worked miracles. Joseph was second in command like Daniel was on the verge of. He has promised he will come when the sins of the pagan nations have reached their climax. And people grew and lived and died. And it happened again. And again, and again, and didn't see anything. And a lot of them continued to believe. And finally, a generation saw the answer to those prayers. I think the biggest miracle in this passage is the verse that we read. Come back. Give me a verse, Dave. <laughs> there it is. Bless you. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, I tried to give a dramatic pause so you'd pick that up. He went home to his upstairs room where the window opened toward Jerusalem, where the townspeople were used to seeing him if they happened to pass by on the street three times a day, praying to the God of Israel. Can you imagine what his friends must have been saying? <laughs> Daniel, it's only 30 days. <laughs> God will forgive you if you don't appear before the window for 30 days. You can still keep praying to him. Just do it in your heart. Okay, well, if you're not willing to do that, Daniel, at least don't have the window open. Stand side next to it someplace. There's no command in the Bible that says you have to pray before an open window. (laughs) Daniel, you're on the verge of having more influence in this pagan empire than any God-fearing person ever has. Doesn't God want to use you alive more than dead? Oh, that's the one that would hit my heartstrings. But any change in Daniel's behavior would send the signals, even if they were wrong, to the people going by, Daniel's reneged. He's following the edict. He's not praying. And Daniel wasn't willing to risk that. There aren't as many good paintings of uh, Daniel before the open window. 
But he was an old man, so I like this one because he's got white hair and a beard. And three times a day means he would have prayed at daytime as well as at nighttime. But uh, the light's coming in on him. I kind of like that. David prays against the king's orders, and yet he says later on that he wasn't disloyal to the king. Interesting. When God's will conflicts with human will, you have to follow God. But other than that, he was on Darius's side. Was there a synagogue? Was there any kind of gathering of Jewish people for worship at the very beginning of the Persian period? We don't know. We know that the concept of a synagogue away from Israel, away from the temple, a place to worship, began somewhere during the Persian period. But these are early days and Daniel might not have had a fellowship of worshipers of Yahweh, God of Israel. We have fellowships. We have churches. And daggummit, churches let us down. (laughs) And if you live in West Overshoe, Nebraska, wherever that is, far northwest corner maybe, You might not have nearly the choices that you have in the Denver metro area, but for somebody in a place like this to say, I'm going to stop going to church because my church hurt me, it's like, well, have you tried out the other 983 options? (laughs) We need the support of each other. And oh, by the way, I'm going to let people down sometimes too, so I shouldn't be too hard on those who let me down. So where does that leave us? Well, I worked real hard to think of a transition that will allow me to show you a couple of pictures that have nothing to do with the message. Many of you, or maybe some of you, know that uh, Fran and I are going to be away for a little over six months. She already left to go to England. Um, And I'll be leaving on Saturday. This will be a a sabbatical term in the seminary. It'll be my last sabbatical. Um, I guess I'm taking after Mike Sayers and announcing my retirement three years in advance (laughs) for uh, 2022. But uh, there's an amazing verse. That probably should be a reminder to me. Oh, it would be so easy to be out of the country and uh, become lax on worshiping with God's people. Daniel 3, three chapters before Daniel 6, I knew you could figure that out has three of Daniel's friends being thrown into the fiery furnace. And Daniel would have known about this. But what an amazing line in the middle of that account. 
The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to stay faithful. We're not going to worship. Daniel would have certainly had that same attitude. What are we going to hear? What are we going to see when we come back to Denver in early January? Well, I have another heart-wrenching story to have to come to grips with of somebody who gave up the faith because Jesus didn't do it their way. One of the reasons we're going to England is because of babies. This past Tuesday, our daughter Beth, seen on the right, had Ada and Rebecca and her husband Jonathan with older brother Joshua are the two men in the picture. And some of you, like Fran, I think her smile is just fabulous in these next two pictures. Um, apparently, Ada's nose is slightly crooked, but other than that, it's very hard to tell them apart so far. So they haven't tried putting them in matching clothes yet. <laughs> and we're going to be uh, not where Beth and Jonathan live, but close enough that uh, at least Fran once a week will go and spend a couple days to give some help when uh, Beth has the least amount of help from anybody else. But time will go fast. At my advanced age of life, wearing a Grandpa Saurus t-shirt that Beth, the daughter that you saw there, gave me at Christmas time, a half a year goes by in no time. I wonder if we can think about some pledges. Go ahead and put them all up there, Dave, and this is the last slide you have to worry about. Are you willing to make, I should have said, these promises and then keep them? The Lord can save me from chronic pain, but even if he doesn't, I'll remain faithful. The Lord can give me finances, but even if he doesn't, I'll remain faithful. The Lord can heal my loved one, but even if he doesn't, I'll remain faithful. The Lord can rebuild my marriage or give me a marriage, but even if he doesn't, I'll remain faithful. The Lord can bring my close friend, family member to himself, but even if he doesn't, I'll remain faithful. Oh, now drive the dagger in and twist it. The Lord can make my church scum flourish again, whatever that means. Something that's not happening now in your mind. But even if he does not, I will remain faithful.
to my God, the God of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for all of us. Will you pray with me? Father, what a gift you have given us over the years with the people you have brought and many of them sent on to other places of all that enabled us to occupy this facility 11 years ago of leaders who have come and gone and we know that the church is in transition and new leaders need to appear if we're going to move on long term we don't claim to know your will not every church lasts forever well none of them do (laughs) but if it's your will that scum continue we pray for those leaders and that we would be willing in cooperating with them And if you want to scatter us into lots of other churches for the good of the kingdom, then make that clear. And let us do it with grace. But help us all to be like Daniel. Wherever we are and however tough the times get, to keep turning to you and trusting in you. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.